0: Hey there, I'm here with Ricky Montgomery. He's a Los Angelino-born and Missouri-sourced indie pop artist and is essentially a viral superstar with over five million monthly listeners on Spotify and nearly 200 million streams on the platform alone. But you TikTokers out there may recognize him from the upwards of 100,000 clips going around featuring his songs, Uh, Ricky? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for correctly pointing out my uh,
1: my hometown versus where I went to high school and middle school. That was really uh, a
0: finessed well. Thank you for that. Now you've accredited your rise to fame to the steam that you picked up in the days of Vine. Uh, I think it's a little full circle-y that now you're blowing up on another video snippet based platform, TikTok. Uh, the culprit songs in question there being Mr. Loverman. And Line Without a Hook from your 2016 LP Montgomery Ricky. Now, these songs were already quite popular before, but how does it feel to see such a sudden wave of people using your songs for their videos? Um, I mean, it feels great. Yeah.
1: Um, I put a lot of work into that album, and um, it, you know, it always did. Pretty well. Um, I was able to kind of like start saving up some money as I had other jobs for a few years, but it never obviously had anything close to what it's what it's doing now. Um, and since uh, that has all happened, I've signed to a record label and um, have just had a a really really good year, is the best way to put it. Um, so I'm. I, it feels great. It's a very weird <laughs> having all this happen during lockdown, um, frankly, but.
0: I'll take it, no complaints. So I know that there are tons out there, but do you have any particular favorite TikToks that have had a song years yours behind them? Um, <laughs> um, Let me let me think. Um, well,
1: usually my favorite ones I'll do a duet to. Um, so uh, let's see, I'm gonna try to find one that's, that's radio friendly to bring up. Um, uh, there's one that I have a soft spot for, which is um, this like, so one of the shows that has really kind of the show fandoms that's really taken off with with these songs is a is a, an anime called Banana Fish. Um, shout out to the Banana Fish fandom. Um, and somebody made like this like comic book style fan fiction video with my music in the background of like Banana Fish, and it's just completely chaotic and almost unwatchably confusing. Um, and I I had to do at that and and that's one of my favorites. It's on my uh, on my TikTok.
0: So uh no honey Sticks fanfic quite yet.
1: Not yet. We're working on it. Uh, I'm sure it will come one day. We do have Honey Sticks memes. Shout out to Honey Sticks Memes on Instagram. Um, so there's a lot of fanfic stuff there, but um nothing quite like uh the TikTok banana fish stuff
0: yet. So you go by Ricky Montgomery on stage, but your actual name is Ricky Montgomery. Um, I noticed that a lot of artists, especially in indie, choose to adopt a stage name. Did you ever consider doing that yourself?
1: Um, I did consider it. I had a few names. Um, in. I mean in part that was why i ended up doing the honey sticks was to kind of like create that layer of um i don't know just like something to hide behind in a way um it's that way it's not kind of so like up in my face real like kind of inescapable um it is kind of cool to have like that facade of um of an artist name uh, but no i mean <clears throat> i did it originally I, I put my my real name as my artist name originally because Um, that's where i had my audience on vine and i just thought okay i would love for people to actually listen to this i'm gonna help them out and not make a really confusing funnel here and just use my normal name um and it you know has been fine technically my legal name is richard montgomery but um you know, not going to be going by that anytime soon. Maybe when I'm in my 60s, I'll change, but until then, I'm going to stick with Ricky. I mean,
0: to be fair, I'm out here going by DJ Nasty Nate, so. Well, I mean, good for you, man. That's got to feel empowering. Oh, absolutely. Um, So backing up a bit, I labeled you as indie a couple seconds ago, which is a pretty ambiguous term at this point, but some people use a record deal as the barometer of that. Now, there are all sorts of standards for listing someone as indie, but I understand that you just signed your first ever major deal with Warner Records. How did you celebrate such a milestone?
1: Um, Yeah, so definitely indie um, originally meant independent. Um, that's for sure true. Uh, for me, this is my first label signing of any kind. I've never been on an indie label or anything like that. Um, I celebrated by... Uh, drinking exactly one bottle of champagne with my girlfriend in my apartment quietly. And then we played some video games and then I think we went to sleep, um, to be honest. I mean, there's not much else to do. I, I, I'm i not really one for like huge celebrations. When I turned 21, I think I had like two beers and then I went home with my friends and we like went to like, I don't know, played some game. Um, I just, I get sick really easily. So I try to avoid like being too gnarly with my celebrations. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of just hung out <laughs> and like, uh, you know, just took the moment in. It, it
0: was still celebratory. It wasn't depressing or anything. It was just kind of mild. I tend to do things like that. Uh, well, do you feel any different genre-wise now that you've signed a piece of paper? Um, uh, I mean, it's weird because I signed it off of like an older album.
1: And so um, it's been four years almost five years since I put out that album. So I think I have changed genre-wise and people will kind of know what I mean by that whenever the next stuff comes out. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'm not indie anymore. I still, like I grew up with indie music. um, And so that's kind of what's informed what I love. Um, among other genres, uh, but um, but indie was always kind of the first thing that I started playing in bands and stuff, so um, I don't really feel that way. I feel like indie is such an old term now that it's kind of like it's almost vapid in the same way that like new wave is or like rock is, you know? It's just so ubiquitous and, and all-encompassing that it almost
0: means nothing now, you know? You've heard it here first. The record deal indie parameter has officially been debunked. That's right. It never was real, folks. We've talked a bit about your solo projects, but you're also the front man of a little band called The Honey Sticks. Who are The Honey Sticks?
1: The Honey Sticks are um, me, my childhood friend Ben Russin, who is the bass player in The Honey Sticks, and uh, Ryan Fife. Who is the drummer for the Honey Six? We had um, on our um, all the releases that are currently out feature Caleb Hurst, who is now a solo artist. Check his stuff out. Um, but he ended up wanting to do his own solo project. Um, we took a bit of a hiatus for a while, and that was kind of the inception for that for him, um, because I was. Just not feeling music for a minute there, um, and I and I got a real job for about a year until I realized actually no thanks I'm gonna go back to music. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically the makeup of the Honey Sticks, and uh, yeah, we're trying to
0: figure out what the next stage is um, once you know once lockdown ends. And I really like that name, the Honey Sticks. It's definitely got some charm to it. Uh, where do you pull that from? Um, we had a lot of names.
1: Um, kind of floating around for a while, but uh, we ended up settling on the honey sticks because it was like, I I forget how it came up, but we settled on kind of uh, this anecdote that I was talking about when going through potential names. Um, Me and my sister, um, we were, um, we would go back and forth between my parents' house a lot. We had divorced parents from when we were like three years old. And um, so every week we were at one house or another and um, Saturday was kind of our like, our most consistent day. We would show up at my dad's house my mom's house and we had this little ritual where we'd sit in front of a TV and we'd always have honey sticks with us. And we would sit there, eat breakfast with our little honey sticks and just watch Saturday morning cartoons. And I just remember that being kind of like a consistently calming variable in in an often chaotic young life. Um, And so I've kind of wanted to cultivate that feeling of home um, with the Honey Stick stuff and um, you know, kind of like a neutral center within, um, I don't know, a chaotic sound or, or you know, a, a world. I'll just say that, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's
0: kind of where the name came from. So back in 2017, you released the Honey Stick's flagship single "Out Like a Light," which was later included on the band's self-titled 2018 EP. After that though, there was a period where it seemed like the future of the group was a little unclear, and there were even rumors that the band had parted ways. However, in 2019, you and the other members of that band came back together to make a sequel to the track, which you said was an exciting, awkward, and painful journey. Uh, tell us a bit about that period for the honey sticks and the importance that that track has held in your story yeah um we were approached by uh, my friend zach fisher
1: who runs a a studio called big bad sound in la where we, we recorded most of the um the honey sticks ep um and he wanted to do an acoustic version of out like a light and um we kind of agreed to that prior to We did actually break up for a while, um, but mostly because I just didn't feel like I could be a musician at the time. It was just a difficult time for so many reasons. But um, yeah, we still I still wanted to kind of like stick the landing with the honey sticks, so to speak. And um, I really wanted to kind of take that track and just see what I could do with it, because that was a track that I um, I really wanted to express more of my own creative instincts on that that was produced by john heiser who produced the montgomery ricky uh lp as well the solo project um and so he tends to be you know kind of all encompassing on the on the stuff that i work with him on he's you know a very good instrumentalist and a very good engineer and so i kind of default to him with a lot of stuff but without like a light too i wanted to kind of challenge myself to lead the whole production and um kind of do everything um, more or less. I mean, I'm obviously I'm not the drummer or the bassist, but like production-wise, that was kind of me just like flexing my chops for the first time and, and exerting, you know, um, myself and, and seeing how far I could take stuff. So I took a lot of kind of risks on that that I wouldn't have taken on other releases that maybe would have had more pressure behind them commercially speaking. But um, yeah, I mean, it was painful because frankly, some of the members didn't want to do it, <laughs> and so um, I. I kind of had to fight on all fronts to make that song happen. And even with the the video for that song, um, it was shot by me and Nikolai Partielli, who is a photographer who works with a band called Wallows a lot. And I also um, was working on a company with him at the time. Um, And yeah, I edited that music video by myself. Um, I was just doing a lot of work on my own at the time. Um, and so that was mainly why it was painful and awkward. It was kind of a, a lot of reflection and a lot of like asking why we were doing this at all, but still wanting
0: to do it, feeling like it was the spiritually correct thing to do. So uh, yeah, that's that's why I say that. So in the middle of that Redux version of the track, there's about a minute or so of pretty intense monologue. She was to leave and he, he got out of jail and come home and found her and hacked her to uh, who are we listening to there and what's the background behind that brutal story?
1: Yeah, that was, um, uh, a story that my great aunt Mary Lou was telling to my uncle, uh, that my uncle sent me in like just a text one day and he was like, aunt Mary Lou telling her crazy stories again. Um, we have a Southern family on my mom's side and, um, a lot of um unsavory folks in the family tree and so that was kind of her talking about just one of those stories that she has and i just found her uh i don't know her cadence and her phrasing really captivating and i wanted to use it for something i didn't know what at the time and i was working on out like a light too and i just dropped it in the timeline kind of for fun and um like the second verse just kind of naturally started right when she said, hacked to death. And I, I remember just laughing out loud and everybody else I showed that part to laughed out loud. And so I thought, okay, I have to do this. Um, and there's a, honestly a lot of kind of empty space in that part of out Like a Light. And I've, if you listen to the original, there's also kind of a vocal passage there, but a much more kind of subtle version of that same concept. And so with everything else in Out Like a Light too. I tried to kind of like double down on concepts and that's the best, most kind of hyperbolic example of of how I'm doing that. Um, But uh, yeah, it's just a story that that she had. Uh, That's a real story about one of her family members. People think it's from a movie, but there's no way in hell I can afford that kind of a sample.
0: So it's all real. Crazy stuff. do you feel that this is a rare instance of a sequel being better than the OG, or are you still biased towards that firstborn child?
1: Um, I mean, I love them both for different reasons. I think that um, um, I mean, it depends. I guess who you ask. If you ask um, the people who are who are professionally involved in my life, then the original is better because it's performing better. Um, but if you ask me. I feel like the se- the sequel is a lot more honest and a lot more of a of a true um, artistic endeavor, um, and so I I definitely feel biased toward that one. Um, it feels a very vindicating, like oh yeah, I can make art when I want to um, kind of thing um, that doesn't have any kind of compromises behind it stylistically um, and isn't afraid of itself. Um, so yeah, I I don't know the answer to that question. I,
0: I guess it depends on you know the the individual's preference. Okay, last question about Out Like a Light. It seems like Drake kind of stepped on your guys' turf with the chorus of Sicko Mode. When can we expect the court case to drop? First of all, there I have no complaints about,
1: uh, about Sicko Mode. That only helped our SEO. Um, we have so many comments on um, on that video from around that period when that song came out of like, I came for Travis Scott, but I'm not disappointed. Um, and that was like just fully, fully a good thing from my perspective because I've always wanted hip hop fans to like enjoy the stuff. I've always wanted to broaden the, um, the sample size of the audience. And so that was really exciting. Um, So I'm not going to sue this time, but if Drake comes at me again, we're going right up to SCOTUS, man. Like, I'm not going to mess around. Well, I'm sure
0: he's going to be sending some major dollar signs your way soon. Yeah, well, Champagne Poppy better because I, you know, I'm ready for it. So the band somewhat recently dropped a single called Cars that seemingly reinvented what we've come to expect from you guys sonically. Uh, Can we expect the same sort of experimentation in a perhaps not so far off new album?
1: Um, Yeah, definitely. I think um, Cars is going to be a bit of an outlier stylistically. Um, I will say right now, um, the solo project is my priority um, and the band is also the touring band for the solo project. So they're involved in that. Um, We're kind of working to define... um, uh, a lot of, of of what of what that will look like. We have a lot of demos um, for that project. I wouldn't say that cars is <laughs> is a is a step is a is a peek into the future necessarily because we actually made that at the same time as the Honeysticks EP. And the reason it wasn't on it was because it was like just so much of an outlier that it made no sense on in the context. And so we're like, we'll save this for later. Um, And then COVID happened and we were like, okay, we literally can't go to the studio right now because Ben is diabetic and our producer lives in St. Louis and he's immunocompromised and blah, blah, blah. So many things went wrong for us. Um, We just decided to just put cars out uh, and make a little video for it um, with Elena Flores, who's amazing. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, that song was just, we didn't give a it at all, if I can say the S word. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have my team fix it in post. Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, you know, we, we played a game called Exquisite Corpse when we were making the lyrics to that one. That's mostly me and Caleb on that song. Um, and that is basically, uh, in a nutshell, um, in the context of lyric writing, it's actually a, a game for like surrealist painters. But we did the lyric version, which is you take a sentence structure you kind of put cards in a hat, and then you like randomly create sentences. Um, and a lot of those lyrics, we d- we decided all of the lyrics would be about cars. That was kind of our our way to narrow down the the outcomes. But all those lyrics, more or less, are just random sentences we created together. And um, we wanted to keep that kind of random energy in the song. And that's part of why there's like the the abrupt. Uh, time signature change in that
0: one. And that track seems to be about a uh, an intense love for a recent year Chevy. Is that Chevy a real car? It is not a real car.
1: I do not personally own a Chevy with 5% tint on both sides of the windows or 18-inch subwoofers or um, which the only time I've heard of 18-inch subwoofers being used was at a movie theater. Um, so it, uh, if you look into the lyrics, the car my surprise some people is not really a realistic car um but um yeah uh i don't own that car i have a subaru i've got a 1998 subaru one of the mirrors is broken um it's it's very treacherous um and i uh i plan on getting a new car next year but i don't think i'm going to be going with the chevrolet company uh, uh, going forward, although I did
0: have a Lumina growing up, a Chevy Lumina, and it was garbage. In other words, to uh, all the Chevy figureheads that are obviously so intensely listening right now, no free sponsorship. Yeah, get out of my life. I'm sorry, guys, I don't support the war machine. <laughs> uh, now, we touched on your roots, uh, having base in the early to mid 2010s with Vine. Uh, if you told the Viner Ricky of that era that he would have such expansive and prolonged success, What do you think he'd say?
1: Um, I think that he would feel uh, relieved that he didn't drop out of college for no reason. Um, And um, yeah, kind of vindicated on spending all the time I did spend as a teenager on art and um, doing a lot of um, things that perhaps didn't feel like good investments of my time at the time, Um, like... I don't know. I, I was I was a, a bit of a rowdy teen, um, and now um, yeah, I I, I think um, mostly it would be it would be good stuff, but I, I would definitely try to like kind of change the future with certain things, um, uh, mostly to just to just kind of make sure that I I became more successful before age twenty seven because man, it's it's weird having you know all your fans be like usually younger than you just just you know it's a challenge that's the only thing
0: um but uh that's that's all i would be good stuff no real complaints on that end speaking of vines uh what would you say are some that are up there for you my favorite vines um kicks too much is my favorite vine uh, it,
1: as far as my response right off the top of my head if you haven't seen it it's a uh, it's a classic um i have a soft spot for for gabe gundaker's
0: stuff he was a good friend of mine um the uh the mustard vine. Yeah, so that mustard vine, um I read that in another interview you had tried to describe that mustard video and got absolute crickets from the host. Sure did. That was not a that was not a highlight
1: in my life. Um, but I'll happily do it again. Um I will take that vine in my grave. Um
0: uh, or my my appreciation for that i'll uh i'll have my team of editors splice in a clip of that vine in post that'll save me a lot of effort um and embarrassment and you know i hate to do this but i specifically asked for no mustard and you just brought me a bottle of mustard on a plate
1: yeah so you, yeah you clearly watched a few videos before this so thank you for that um <laughs> so yeah that's great i'll give one more um hmm. um um I'll plug myself because um, I can't think of anything else for some reason. Um, uh, check out uh, Adam's Apple, probably the best piece of Vine content that I've ever been a part of. Technically it's a Caleb Hurst Vine, but it's me, Andrew Sawicki and Caleb Hurst just making a video together in my kitchen. Um, and uh, Adam's Apple, there we go. Perhaps it's your uh, magnum opus. Perhaps,
0: I would be fine with that. That's That's my best effort for that medium. <laughs> So uh, as we get to the end here, I wanted to know if you had anything in the works that we should keep an eye out for.
1: Yeah, uh, the rest of the first half of this year is going to be kind of like people watching me on board with a major label. (laughs) So like um, there's going to be some some uh, extensions of the Montgomery Rickey era um, by popular demand um and and i i feel like i probably shouldn't be more specific than that at at present um in case the label you know hears me talking about this on this program but um yeah so there's going to be some more kind of releases like that it's going to be a solo project year mostly um for so many reasons mostly because of this moment that i'm having um and because you know we still have no idea when touring is going to come back and so um that'll kind of keep me mostly at my house frankly and so that'll that'll mean a lot of working by myself and and hopefully churning out a lot of solo music so yeah that's that's the main thing um
0: gonna be a lot of releases for that project hopefully a lot um we'll see how many i'm able to get out uh one last little thing i would like to think that i am known for being a bit of a self-proclaimed vinyl snob can we expect any restocks on the wax for the EP or the LP? They are surprisingly hard to get a hold of. It is incredible how many people ask for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I yes. First of
1: all, yes. Um, I get more questions about vinyl restocking than maybe anything else, which is a great problem to have, but also very surprising. Um, yeah, no, there's going to be restocks at, um, at least in the next couple months um, of Probably both projects. Um, I mean, seeing that there is a lot of um, um, desire for the Honey Six EP as well, um, we'll probably end up restocking that one too. Um, and yeah, we kind of had like a special um, version of the EP made for the vinyl as well. It actually features another track list. It's different than the one on Spotify. It's a little bit more tailored for the listening experience, and it has out like a two, out like a, out like a two, out like a light <laughs> two on it. Um, and I have it here somewhere. Yeah, it's pink.
0: Maybe I won't make it pink this time. Maybe I'll make it a different color just to change it up. And I'll tell you now that people love any sort of special variant they can get with vinyl.
1: Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> well I'll bring back the pink and maybe I'll like, I haven't tried like multiple colors yet, but that recently became an, an option for us. So, um, maybe we'll try that out. Uh, I don't want to make any promises, but it's definitely on my mind and one day will happen.
0: I feel like my urge to wedge a record-related question in there was properly appeased, so thank you for that. You can find Ricky on Instagram via at ROH Montgomery, or you can look up his band by searching at The Honey Sticks with an underscore at the end of it, and you can find his tracks on uh, anywhere that plays good music. Ricky, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, man.